Let me give you an example, right? So I'm doing a 338 unit apartment complex in Austin in a town called Style, just a suburb of Austin, 20 minutes to Austin downtown on Highway 35. And we paid $8,500 per foot, uh, $8,500 per unit. Now, when we talk about zoned land, nobody's talking about dollar per foot anymore, right? I mean, they're saying that, look, this is zoned to build X number of units, so you pay me this much, right? We got into contract and closed on it, but that was pre-COVID price, $8,500 a foot. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Venkat Abbasarala, and today we're learning from a real expert in real estate, as we always do, right? And Venkat started in single families years ago, eventually transitioned to the multifamily value add space, and is now doing a lot of deals in development, both in terms of land development and ground up development. And today we talk about understanding your market and understanding to a deep degree of what the local market wants, not just from the supply and demand standpoint, but when you're talking about development, you have to talk about what the local governments want. What they want and what they'll allow you to do can be very different, right? So we dig into that today. You're gonna learn a lot of lessons. I learned so much and and he's doing some really interesting things there in, in a few different markets. So a lot of great lessons in this one. If you're interested, in new property development. I think this one is fantastic. And really, if you're buying existing properties, he gives us some great insights into why he transitioned away from that kind of investing in particular areas, specifically parts of Texas. Talks about why he got out of that business in Texas. He's doing that in other areas. So really interesting interview. You're going to learn so much. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartments and self-storage properties. If you're interested in learning more and potentially passively investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, and schedule a call with me. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much, you guys. Five stars if you don't mind. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. I really appreciate that feedback because that helps me see that you're learning from these lessons and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Always gives me that nice little warm and fuzzy feeling. No matter what podcast app you use, if you do enjoy the show, do look us up hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I do apologize if I sound a little off today. I'm, I'm a little bit under the weather. I'm on the mend, but uh, you know, you maybe can hear a little bit of uh, congestion in my voice, but I'm on the other side of it. I'm going to be better soon. And I hope you'll bear with my uh, slightly nasally sounding tone here today. If you're new to the show, this is not exactly how I, uh, I always sound. I appreciate you bearing with me. Once again, our guest is Venkat Avasarala. We have a great conversation for you. Without any further ado, here we go. Venkat, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's been a great conversation so far. You have so much experience and you will spend some time talking about your experience in ground up development today and, and what you're going through. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you give us an introduction as to where you come from, what you've done, and then what you're up to today? Sure, glad to. So I live in Dallas. Texas, but originally from South India. And I came to the United States back in 2001 uh, to pursue my master's degree in electrical engineering. 
After that, uh, ended up in IT, worked in corporate America for 14 years. My last job was with Bank of America. Again, on IT, nothing with banking. Uh, gave up the job in summer of 2018 after starting commercial real estate as a side gig. I have no idea that you know it'll get this big uh, for me. So I started in 2016 doing some commercial real estate. And by mid-2018, I quickly realized that, look, I got to make a choice whether uh, to go stick to the job and take it still on the real estate or rather way around. Right. So I chose later and uh, walked away from my IT career. Pretty happy. It's over three years uh, since I've been full time with real estate and I'm just loving it. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And, you know, the, the market has certainly changed quite a bit in your time in real estate. Can you give us a, an exposure into, you know, the types of deals that you've done and then also what you're up to today in terms of yeah, like most people I started with single family, right? I have no idea what syndication is. And I buying uh, I started buying single family properties. I bought about three properties just before the Great Recession in 2007. And then I was like, why did I even buy this? Right? <laughs> I mean, those were foreclosures. I mean, they were cash flowing, but the values got shot quite a bit, you know, so deep discount to its replacement value, right? Uh, and uh, there was a foreclosure where I bought for $50,000, built in 80s in Dallas. And the insurance value would be like 150000 And I was like, the replacement coverage, right? I mean, that's what I wanted. The replacement coverage would be $150,000 to rebuild the house that I just bought for 50000 right? <laughs> so it, it stayed like that quite a bit. And then starting 2012, 2011, we had a double dip recession, right? So 2012 is where I see a secular growth because I know that because that is when the wholesalers stopped calling me. <laughs> uh, and now I have to call them. I said, okay, there's definitely a shift in the thing. So uh, I started in 2012, again, restarted buying homes. And I bought 20 homes, 80s, 90s build around the rim of uh, 635 and 635. It's a loop actually, loop 635 in uh, DFW. It did really well. Uh, but what happened is that, you know, I hit the ceiling of 20 Fannie Mae loans. So Fannie Mae gives up to 20 loans. There was no such limit before the Great Recession. But after so many investors walked away from their homes, they limited it to 20, right? 10 per spouse, so 20. And once I hit that, I wanted to scale. I was doing really well on the cash flow. I mean, I feel secure financially, even if I lose my job, no big deal kind of thing. Um, but I definitely wanted to scale. And without any other way, I looked into several other things like laundromats, gas stations, and all that. They're all buying another job. I already have a job. I don't want another <laughs> job. So I want something on the side. So it started that way where I can hire a property management company, professional management company. So apartments made a lot of sense. So I started with a 100-unit apartment complex in Norman, Oklahoma, then 120 units in uh, Phoenix. Uh, in Glendale, actually. Glendale is a suburb of Phoenix. And then started in Dallas with 306 units and keep buying that. And I bought about 3,500 units, mostly in Dallas after that. And I already sold like most of those properties, right? I mean, I sold about 3,000 units, 2,000 units just this September and basically exited Texas value-add market. But I'm refocusing my efforts on doing value-add in uh, uh, Colorado and Arizona, specifically in Denver and Phoenix markets. If I can find off-market properties, I'm, I'm no longer worried about how big it is. Even if I find an 80-unit, I'll do it. In Dallas, I've been buying 200, 300, 400-unit complexes, but the, the market changed, right? I mean, it has to be a true off-market where it still makes and underwrites well, and no point in taking huge amounts of risk, try to stretch at this time. 
So I'm doing those deals in Western markets. I really like Western markets for value add. And when it comes to ground up construction, I'm doing uh, projects in Dallas, Austin, and Phoenix. And that is building 300 units for um, 300 unit up. I, I try to build 300 units in Texas. Otherwise, it, it doesn't uh, underwrite really well. And I'm also doing some land development deals in Texas because that land plays the best way to play Texas markets, especially Dallas. There's this insatiable demand for zone land. So what I do is that I go buy 50 to 100 acres projects and then develop it, take it through the city, put zoning on it, and then sell it in pieces, right? We can do really well on that. So these are the three kind of properties, uh, three kind of asset classes that I'm doing, and I'm playing to the strengths of each metro. For example, I don't go try try to build a 300-unit apartment complex in Denver because it's it's very it's hard. It's swimming against the tide there, and I don't try to do a value add C-class value add in Texas also because a whole different reasons. I mean, our taxes and insurance are very high in Texas. It's, our expense issues are through the roof. Expenses are growing faster than income. So not a great place to do value adds anymore in Texas, at least for me. Um, there are a lot of other people do it. So I try to understand what are the strengths and the weaknesses of each of the metro, and I'm playing it to the strengths uh, and taking my investors along with them. So I have around $485 million worth of pro- different projects in the management, and uh, there's about $107 million worth of equity. Uh, no large checks, it's just $100,000 checks uh, for my investors. So that is what I have done. That's awesome. That's great. At what point, just to clarify, at what point, how many deals had you done when you decided, okay, I could leave the corporate job and do this real estate full-time? I did about seven deals by the time. I should have walked away, but look, it's a bank job. It's it's like, I mean, it's it's as safe as it, it's going to get for you, right? I mean, and I was brought up in that kind of, with that kind of mindset where you go to school, get good grades, go work for some big company and and that's success, right? I mean, that is how success was defined to me while I was growing up and I was there. And it's hard to just walk away from that just because you started this thing two years back doing some real estate deals. Okay, let's leave all this. It's hard. I mean, the mind shift, it takes a little bit of time to get accustomed. Um, but I would have, I should have left a year into this thing. Again, the market was so good, right? The market was so good. I mean, with values going up. But yeah, about six or seven deals is what I have done. At that time, I had around $100 million worth of um, assets under management, at which point I was I felt really comfortable walking away from my day job. Awesome. So I really appreciate how you talk about understanding the strengths of a given market and deciding your strategy from there. And I think ground up development in particular is, is one strategy that we see people doing a lot less of, at least in this kind of space that we're in we hear still a lot about uh, value add but you know you you describe the process a bit in terms of land entitlement and, and everything that you're working on but let's really dig into it and understand how that all works so the folks out there can understand you know if they're if they're looking at a business plan really whether it's crazy or if it's you know well founded absolutely so let's start with the land development right so there is this tremendous demand for zoned land right? Let me give you an example, right? So I'm doing a 338-unit apartment complex in Austin in a town called Skyle, just suburb of Austin, 20 minutes to Austin downtown on Highway 35. And we paid $8,500 per foot, uh, $8,500 per unit. Now, when we talk about zoned land, nobody's talking about dollar per foot anymore, right? I mean, they're saying that, look, this is zoned to build X number of units, so you pay me this much, right? We got into contract and closed on it, but that was pre-COVID pricing. $8,500 a foot. 
the same land, if I don't want to build anymore, if I can just, if I just want to sell it and walk away from it, I would get something like $35,000 per Right. Wow. So that, that is the scale of the problem that we're talking about here. Because everybody, we are all caught off guard. This household creation went through the roof after COVID for several different reasons, right? People were forced to live together for so long. You can't go out, you cannot eat at the restaurant. And it just puts tremendous pressure between people, you know, locked or forced together for so long. So the roommates split up, divorce rates went, right? I mean, even the gray divorce, right? People after 50, they're divorcing now, right? And the kid don't want to live with their family. They want a breathing space, so they want to move out. So whenever somebody moves out from their existing household, well, voila, a new household gets created. So even though our population growth is decelerating, our household creation accelerated during the pandemic, and it's still happening. Right. So we were caught off guard. We don't keep a uh, hundred thousand units just sitting around like China does to keep people in it. Right. I mean, it's it's always uh, it's, America is always about efficiency. Right. On time delivery, anything for anything. For you. That's why, you know, same thing with uh, paper towels. Right. I mean, twenty dollars because we yeah. don't keep them around oh, thinking that somebody would need it. Right. We'll just keep just enough. So there is the scarcity of this housing because of this household creation explosion in America, which is still going on, by the way. So now everybody wants to build and there's not enough zone land. So when something is in short supply, it will iron out, it will even out in the next three, four, five years. But today, just like how that paper roll sold for $20, it's a, it was on the news. Somebody was <laughs> gouging and selling it $20 and people are buying it. It's supposed to cost 50 cents. It's the same exact thing is happening here, right? When something is in a short supply, everybody wants that now. Obviously, prices go up. So land play is really good. I mean, it's, it's, it's something where you can quickly go in and out. And I do that in Texas because Texas cities are very uh, development friendly. And it's easy. It's easy to deal with cities in Texas to take a piece of land to them and give them the mixed use. Nobody's doing spot zoning anymore. In good olden days, you buy your 10 acres at the corner site, Agland, and you take it to the city, hey, I want to build multifamily, can you please zone it for me? They would have, they would do that for you. Not anymore. Hmm. Now, if you want 10 acres of multifamily, you need to go with 50 acres of land and say that, look, uh, give me my 10 acres of multifamily here, but I'm going to put 15 acres of single family, 10 acres of townhome, some retail, some fast food, and then they will approve. Right. And then you keep the multifamily land and you sell everything else. Right. That, that's pretty much how you create zoned land these days. Or if you don't want to build, if you're not a builder, that's fine. You just sell everything and you get premium for the residential land. So that, that's the business process at, at, at this point. So you go by. And also what's happening is the main four counties in Dallas, Dallas, Trent, Denton and Collin County. These are the four large counties. You cannot buy a $300,000 home newly built anymore. You just, no. <laughs> it doesn't exist, right? Yeah. Because land prices have appreciated so much that it's just not possible. This is very new for Texas, especially for Dallas. I mean, this was never the case. I mean, we always have abundance of everything, but not anymore. So now what's happening is there is this Grayson County on the north and Kaufman County on the east. Those two are exploding, right? So I'm going there, buying land for dollar, $2 a foot, and then taking it through the city, get the zoning, and we can we can net out really 2x, 3x, 4x on the land, on what we paid for land. I mean, which is hard to do it in an apartment complex. In Texas, you cannot buy a 100-unit 
$100,000 per unit apartment complex in two years, sell it for 400. It doesn't happen. It, it no. doesn't work that way. Uh, but land all day long, right? I mean, that's the value add. So that I really, really digging this land play. And I have done one so far and I have two more in the pipeline that I'm about, three more actually to, uh, to do in, in Texas. So in, you know, in this area with there's, you know, there's money to be made and all of that, but there's, you know, in order that for that to be you know, sustainable in some way, there has to be some barrier to entry or, or barrier to actually do it, you know? So what are the potential, you know, stumbling blocks along the way, or really what prevents everybody from going and doing this and just, you know, washing out all of the profits? No, absolutely. That's a great question. So first of all, you work with somebody who have done this before, right? Uh, not something, especially when you syndicate, right? I mean, I syndicate, I bring my investors into every deal. Um, but before I do that, I de-risk the deals because problems are easy to handle when you haven't brought investors inside the deal yet, right? It becomes really, really tricky. And now you have to solve the problem and and handle investors too, right? Uh, if a problem arises. So I'm a big believer is like delay bringing investors into the deal, especially development deals. I'm only talking about land development and ground up development deals and de-risk the deals. Well, where is the risk? Uh, will we get zoning, right? Will we get zoning? Yes, you, are, you put this 100 acres under contract and you have something in mind, but will you get zoning? If you don't get zoning, I mean, it's, it's not gonna work out, right? I mean, you just have to sit on the land until God knows when. Uh, so you you go and talk to the city and get an encouragement letter from them, right? So you you show them with the vision. If it aligns with their vision, they will say that good boy, go do it. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll say no, no, I'm not going to let that happen. Not in those words, but we can we can we can feel that. Every city has a comprehensive plan, right? Uh, so every city has that. Okay, this is the land I got, and this is the vision I have: ten year vision, twenty year vision, fifty year vision, and this is how I'm going to use my land even though they don't own most of the land, it's all private land, but they have a vision. And the comprehensive plan is what gives the default zoning. So this is ag land, this is zone that, this is zone that. So now you go and ask him, ask them to rezone ag land. Let's say you want to build a hotel right next to a school. They'll say, no, I don't think so, right? So you have to back off at that point. Even though it makes sense to for other ways, maybe there's demand, maybe there's employers close by, it makes sense to build a whole, but you cannot go against city, against their comprehensive plan. So this is the know-how, right? So that is where the most of the risk is. And then obviously, you know, we cannot kid ourselves when we try to uh, underwrite the resale prices of each of these zone land. So that is something that you have to work with. And there is no MLS per se for all this land. So you work with, uh, experienced uh, brokers who are doing a lot of deals and take their input while you're underwriting. Uh, in land development, those are the two places where you have a lot of risk. So I de-risk that uh, before I bring investors in. Interesting. Okay. And I, I don't know what's available in terms of like financing for, the, for these types of deals because it's a completely different story when we're doing a, a value 50 add. to 65%, they would do that. And you get both recourse and non-recourse. Obviously, if it's recourse, the rates are like three and a half, four percent right now. If it's non-recourse, it's six and a half percent. But you get about fifty to sixty-five percent leverage on this line. So that's another great thing. Nice. Uh, and banks feel really, really comfortable because they know that this land, as soon as we put zoning on it, it's worth so much more than what we paid for. And even though they did a fifty to sixty-five percent LTC loan, now the new LTC after immediately after getting zoning, they're sitting at 20, 30 percent. So they really, really feel comfortable with the land plan. 
Interesting. How about being capitalized going into the deal? And then I, I'm not even sure how like, you know, DSCR works on this type, debt service coverage ratio works on this kind of thing. Cause that's what they're going to look at that for a, a multifamily deal, but there's yes. no cash flow here. There's no cash flow here. What they do is like either they will, it all depends on the experience that the sponsorship team has. They might ask you to escrow a couple of years of interest or they might make it a recourse or partial recourse. But yes, you're right. There's no income coming out of it. So there is no DSCR. Basically, they will get an appraisal, as is appraisal, and 2B appraisal after zoning. And they get comfortable where anywhere between 50 to 65,000. And then uh, you just uh, escrow some amount and then they're happy with the rest of it. Mm, okay, interesting. So I really, you know, we were talking before we hit record and, and we've talked here about understanding your market, especially as it pertains to the local you know, municipalities and people who actually control the zoning and their appetite for new development, especially how that impacts the overall real estate market with, you know, rents flying upward because of, you know, shortage of supply and all of that. And I'd like to you know, dive a little deeper into the specific markets that you're working in and the different you know rules and laws that they have just to understand how that impacts your business plan not to not to give everybody a, a, an encyclopedic definition of how everybody how these different areas see development but how this impacts real estate investors business plans absolutely so see real estate is vast right so you can do land development ground up development even in that you can do multifamily storage industrial hotel, and then you can do adaptive reuse, taking up, buying up old homes and converting to multifamily. There's just so much, right, that you can do in the real estate space. It's a catch-all term if you, if you think about it. So for me, I, I only want to concentrate on three. And I don't want the fourth one, right? Because uh, I still have only 24 hours in the day and I don't want to be spread to 10. I want to master <laughs> what I'm working on. And I want to master in the metros I'm working on. And same way, uh, I have land development, ground-up development of multifamily, and value-add multifamily. These are the only three things that I do. And if you look at metros, well, there's just so many metros, you know. Dallas is not the only one which is growing. I mean, there's just so many. Even in Texas, you have four metros, large metros. And if you go to Florida, you get another two, three large metros. I try to play in the large metros. I mean, I don't understand these small metros really well. That's my, um, I wouldn't say ignorance, but it's my handicap, Right. I, I try to work with something that I know for sure. There's plenty of data available. So I, I stick to the main metros, right? So again, there's like 20 main metros here. And I would be spread too thin if I go after everything, right? So I selected these four metros like Dallas, Austin, Phoenix, and Denver. These are the only four metros. So three kind of asset classes and four kind of metros. This is all I play in. This is my sandbox. And I don't try to tread out of it. I might passively invest. I mean, if somebody brings a deal and let's say, Las Vegas, I, I would invest, you know, not my own money, but I don't try to syndicate anything outside the sandbox. So now, if you look at the Texas, Arizona, and Colorado, right? I mean, that is what we're talking about here. So in Texas, the reason I don't do value add anymore is because uh, uh, we do not have state income tax. So that, that sounds really well. <laughs> but if you look at who is paying taxes, it's the poor, middle class, and the seniors they're paying bigger share on of state taxes in terms of uh, uh, sales tax and local other local taxes and more importantly property taxes. So basically, if you look at uh, why did Elon Musk move to Texas? Because everybody else, we are subsidizing his taxes. Where 
taxes in Texas is more like a consumption tax. If you buy something, you pay sales tax and you owe tax money. If you live in a home, 100, 100K home versus 500K home, you pay more taxes. So it's a consumption tax. So if you see Elon Musk, I mean, how much would he consume? He, he might make like $50 billion a year, but he don't consume 50. Last I heard, he's living in a $50,000 home, a mobile home. Right? I'm a little skeptical of that, but yeah, anyway. right. but you see what I'm saying. So in Texas, they made it a consumption tax. So it's really hit hard for the people who are poor and middle class and the senior, and especially senior folks, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say they're living in this 300K home. They're paying $9,000 in property taxes every year. Well, they just retired. Guess what? Tough luck. You still have to pay $9,000 a year. You don't get a break. They'll cap you at once you hit 65 years of age, it won't go up, but you still owe them $9,000. But your income went to zero, right? So that this is an issue. And why are we doing all this thing to so that we can subsidize the top 1%, right? I'm a capitalist myself. I'm not that kind of people, okay, you know, tax rates, that, that's not what this thing at all. But I, we have to call it what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then I'm not trying to change anything. I want to I want to play to the strengths of the city, right? So obviously, I don't want to do these value-add deals anymore because rents are low. People's affordability to pay these rents are very low. Uh, and more importantly, property taxes and insurance and, and very rough weather and everything. So those both those are above the line items, right? When you calculate NOI. So we are looking at 60% expense ratios here. Wow. Right? I mean, that is just insane. That is one of the highest. Uh, so... Let's say there is a $200 rent bump. I go do the rehab and I increase $200 rent. At the end of the year, most of that gains made are lost to higher insurance and higher property tax. And I'm seeing actually the expenses are outpacing the income growth. So personally, I'm not going to do value adds in Texas anymore. Well, what are, so those are all the weaknesses, right? Well, what are the strengths? A lot of people move to Texas. Cities are very friendly and now, apparently, there is a genuine scarcity even in Texas. We, we didn't have scarcity for anything until COVID, right? I mean, <laughs> we have abundant land, more houses and everything, right? Uh, labor, no problem. But now everything is in scared, uh, scarcity. So I want to play to the strengths of Texas where I know that if I buy some land in a good area, close to a major highway, I know that I can take it through the city, get the zoning I want and quickly sell it. And I know that if I build something, they'll come. The absorption, Dallas is the absorption leader in the country. So if you build a 300-unit apartment complex, it leases up fast in Dallas than anywhere else in the country. And as a developer, that's a big, important thing, mm-hmm. right? What's the point in building something and nobody shows up, right? So those are the strengths of the market. So that's why I chose Dallas market to do land deals, land development deals, and ground-up development, right? And I'm not going to do value But on the flip side, I go to Denver and Phoenix. What I see is, just ridiculously scarce. scarce. Um, in Denver, I just recently bought a, uh, another property in Lakewood. And that city has a moratorium where they call it Lakewood Growth Initiative. That's the name of that moratorium. <laughs> but it's an oxymoron, right? They're, what they're trying to do is to limit the new inventory to 1%. And the problem there is, so you have Denver here, you have Lakewood wedged between Denver and the mountains. So the mountains start in a little while. So you're landlocked there. There's not a whole lot of land. And maybe there is a reason why they should do that 1%. But that is where I want to do value. Because I know for a fact that my competition is not going to grow 10-4 like, like everywhere else. And I can reasonably think that I can hold that property for 5, 10 years and maybe do two to three times, you know, even though we, we don't 
tell all that to investors. So we tell investors three to five years. But if the if we can pull all our money out and then some in two years into the deal, we're going to show that to investors. And why if they agree, we're going to refine and just keep it. Uh, but that is where you should be keeping holding on to the properties because you know about the moratorium. So they are like bitcoins. There's no infinite supply of those, right? The, the properties <laughs> in Lakewood, Denver, right? So th- these are, these are some things that you have to pay attention and and play to the strengths of that particular metro. In Phoenix, up until 2008, they were giving out these permits like candy, and they built so much. And Phoenix didn't have anything to offer, only cheap housing. So a lot of investors bought all those houses, not the guys with the jobs over there. And all the investors walked away at the first sign of trouble in 2008, and they got crushed. The home values dropped by 55% in Phoenix Metro in 2008. So they were like, really, really took it to the heart, and the cities stopped giving permits for like 10, 11 years. Well, now they have a lot of jobs, more and more people pouring in, but now it will restart that engine that they stopped back in 2008. It's taking forever. And the labor shortages, material shortage, it's making it worse. So Phoenix make an excellent, excellent place. They don't have moratoriums, thank God. So I want to build there in Phoenix if the cost allows, because it's very expensive to build there. Still makes sense for now, but I don't know for how long. So I'm trying to do a 94-unit project in downtown Mesa. And I would buy value add there because of the scarcity. So these are kind of things that um, I think through to the, and play to the strengths of any given metro and just not go to willy-nilly value add and this and that. Wow. Well, I appreciate you diving into details on each one of those. I find it amazing that the Lakewood uh, growth initiative is actually restricting growth and, and making property more expensive. But, you know, if you understand that you can benefit from it and, you know, and yeah, yeah, just, just all those things. So very impressive, great information right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Bankit, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So again, it's education into real estate. I believe that time is the most important resource that for anybody, right? Than money. 
So I quickly paid somebody to get started into real estate, right? Real estate is not something which came natural to me. This is an acquired skill for me. So I paid people to teach me how to do single family, how to do multifamily. And that's a very big investment because it, it expedited, expedited my learning curve and the mistakes I probably would have made without that education, right? But again, I would default to this education. Obviously, I... I but other than I in your education, what's education, the best yeah. other than in your education? So you don't want to even count the real estate education? We'll take that off the table too. Okay. All right. So then I would say that in the, right? I mean, you, you hire good people, you pay them. And, and the tools and everything. So again, whatever helps me to do a job quickly, efficiently, and where I can deliver, if I had to pay money to get that, I'm always up for it. Nice. And for that matter, I love toll roads. People hate toll roads. It's like, are you kidding me? I paid three, four, five bucks and I can get there an hour early? That's cheap, actually, right? I bought an hour for like five, 10 bucks. Deal. That's my way of thinking, you know? Nice. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? See, worst investment I made is in an oil uh, placement. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so in, that was 2014. Uh, oil was like up and up all the way until then. And I was itching to get into the oil. I, have, I still don't understand how it works, how to underwrite and all that. And I invested just $50,000, not a whole lot amount, but still, I mean, at the time it was a lot of money for me, right? So $50,000 and they send me like about $2 every month and <laughs> they won't let me forget it. They sold me that it's tax benefit and all that. And it's some six wells put together in Bakkenshell in North Dakota or something. And I was like, okay, uh, the office looks scared. Okay, maybe it will pan out, right? So I want to forget that. But they won't let me forget because every month, like a clockwork, they send me $2 via ACH in my bank account. So every time I see that, it reminds me that, but it's in a good way. I used to feel hurt every time I see that because it didn't, it didn't pay me anything nearly what they said they would. But it reminds me, right? So my biggest learning from that is do not get into things which you don't fully understand, right? I mean, that's I have no business to be in investing in oil. I'm not an oil guy. They didn't give me any education. I didn't have any education. Well, how do I know to invest in that? So I just took a, a guess and it didn't pan out. Wow. Well, it would be even more insulting if they mailed you a check every month. Oh, they $2. did for a while. <laughs> <laughs> they did it for a while and later it's probably costing them more to mail me the check than what the check amount is. So once they realize it, they switch to ACH. Wow. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? The key lesson would be to pay attention to the industry. Okay. When you're getting started, yes, you can pay somebody to learn the basics, right? To, to learn the basics, go pay somebody and quickly learn what you need to. But then again, when you're trying to make investment decisions, like where you're buying, what you're doing in real estate and things like that, pay attention to the industry. There cannot be a big, te a better teacher than the industry. And then here's what I mean by that, right? So if you look at, let's say, Cortland or Camden, and oh, we, are we are in apartment industry, right? So these are the big boys of apartment industry. And follow these people see what they're doing. And they give out a lot of information because they all have investors and all that. They have to put out investor reports and all that. So see what they're, what they're thinking, right? What they're thinking, what they're expecting future to look like. It's free. So just pay attention to these people and try to follow them. 
try to follow them and swim after these big whales. Uh, and this is exactly what I did on my very first land development deal in Sherman, uh, which is a city north of Dallas. And I bought 54 acres there. And why? Because next door, a billion dollar project came up. So, okay, so they probably did some research and all that. And, and I was able to work it backwards. And I see that uh, the jobs are coming there. But I couldn't have arrived at a situation where I would have bought their property all by myself. But I was able to get comfortable buying that piece of property because a billion dollar project came up. And then I got lucky, right? Uh, after I got the zoning, the Texas Instruments, which is right opposite, smack dab opposite to me, they declared that they're going to build four more fat plants with $30 billion right opposite my side. Wow. And I was like, wow, you know, so this is what happens, right? So when you follow um, big money, and not these gurus and all that. They're really required. I mean, when you're getting started, when you're when you are zero, oh yeah, I mean, that, that is that is what you need. These mentors where you pay the money, they, they'll tell you how to underwrite and everything, but then you have to quickly get out of there because they're not doing deals, nor they are investing a lot of time and resources to, to do research and give us the best advice possible, right? Once you know the fundamentals, get out of those things, and just like I did, and then follow the big money. Follow the big money. And I think that is the biggest learning I have. Nice. I love that. Well, Venkat, thank you so much for joining us today and for all the fantastic lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to track you down, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they find you? Well, they can go to my website at strikerproperties.com. It's S-T-R-Y-K-E-R properties.com. And you have a contact form there. Or you can email me at Venkat. V-E-N-K-A-T at strikerprop.com or reach on my cell phone at 281-727-9238. Man, giving out the cell phone number, that is a, a power move. Wow. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you so much once again to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. I say this every time. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day. If you want to reach out and learn more about what I'm up to, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, take the next steps, and I will talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.